standing, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we've just been singing about how amazing your love is for us in the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we pray this morning that we might understand and experience in our own lives something more of your love. Father, please, would you come by your spirit and work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please do sit down. And please, would you turn to that passage the camera read to us, Ephesians chapter 3. This is part of a series in Ephesians. This is the third. If you've missed the other two, if you go on to Facebook or the website and uh, go on to the podcast, uh, then you can listen to them. And our small groups are looking at this as well. So if you've missed a week, please do follow up. So Ephesians chapter 3, page 1174. You know, you can go to anywhere in the world or almost anywhere in the world and find groups of people who are meeting together and you sense there is something extraordinary about these people, something that's different about them. There are things happening amongst these people that can't be explained in terms of size because some of them are small groups of people. They can't be explained in terms of group dynamics. There is something that can only be explained in terms of God events that are taking place amongst these people. Because what you find amongst these groups of people as they meet together is lives being completely changed. People who had no time for God, no place for Him in their lives, are suddenly coming to realize His importance and turning to Him and their lives are being turned around. People who are living lives that were indifferent to God are experiencing a change which means they now live in a completely different way. You're finding people experiencing healing in terms of relationships, family relationships being restored, parents and children People in marriages that are breaking apart where they're beginning to find some healing and restoration. You're beginning to find a community of people that's being drawn together where there's love and compassion for one another. And the only way to explain it is to say there is something we can't understand about this. It must be something of God that's about these people. People who've been struggling with addictions, finding new hope. People who've been struggling with despair, finding in the midst of their circumstances that they have a new hope. God is at work amongst these people. And as they meet together in their gatherings, there's a high level of expectation amongst them that God will turn up. In fact, that God is there as they meet together and he's there to do something amongst them. They meet expecting to encounter the living God as they meet together and as they worship. There are high levels of faith, high levels of prayer. There's a high motivation to reach out to their friends and their family and their community and bring love and compassion and to bring new hope. Here are people who are making a difference to the communities around them, who are taking notice of them, that there is something about these people. And this group of people is called the church. 
the church. So here's the question for this morning. What is it that leads to a group of people getting together, meeting together, living lives together, that experience that kind of life, that kind of vitality, where we might say, here's a community of people who are on fire for God. How do you get a church like that? And if you have a church like that, where things are happening like that, how do you keep it? How do you stop church lapsing into complacency? Migrating towards being indifferent, where there are squabbles, where there are disagreements. How do you stop a church drifting away from life into mediocrity? Where church becomes something to do with obligation and duty and people sometimes resent it and find that it's of no value to them, where it's irrelevant How do you stop that happening? I want to look at two things this morning. Every church that's moving towards life rather than towards mediocrity will experience these two things. Number one, strong conviction. That is belief, strong belief that leads to action. Strong conviction And number two, experience. Strong conviction and experience. Number one, strong convictions. Every church that's moving towards life rather than towards death will have a strong conviction about the gospel. That is about the message of Jesus Christ. The message that Paul's been talking about in Ephesians where he says, the message about Jesus Christ is a message of life that comes to dead people. Who brings people who are spiritually and morally dead and as they hear the message of Jesus Christ and respond to it, something supernatural takes hold of them and they become alive. And they discover that they have a new life that's given to them, a life that's to be lived out They discover that they're God's children and they're no longer under his condemnation. And instead of being separate from God and away from him, they discover he loves them. And they have a relationship with them. And they discover that they've been brought together to live this new life with a community of people. To be lived out together in this entity we call the local church. That's what Paul's been talking about. That's the gospel that he's talking about. And that's why at the beginning of chapter 3, he says, for this reason. In other words, what I'm writing about now is because of what I've been talking about, which is the gospel. For this reason, and in particular, that God has brought people together to live out this new life in community. Christianity is fundamentally corporate before it's individual. Our calling is to live out our life together as the community of Jesus Christ. And so he reminds them in verse 6 of chapter 3, 
He says, this mystery, something that was once hidden that's now become clear, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, those who were far from God, are heirs together with Israel, brought together in one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's a new community around, the community of Jesus Christ, the community of life. And it's called the church. And you've been made part of the church supernaturally through what Jesus Christ has done and experienced it through faith in that gospel. That's what he's talking about. Churches that are experiencing life and are growing in life have a strong conviction that that's true. Not just because they believe it with their heads and it stops there, but a conviction that leads to action. Well, those are extraordinary things, aren't they? I, I mean, by any accounts. I mean, some of you have been around church a long time, and so this is so-so, isn't it? You've heard it all before. But it's an extraordinary claim that Paul's making about the gospel, isn't it? Before you came to Christ, you were dead. God has made you alive in Christ. He's given you a new hope. He's brought forgiveness to you. He's brought you into this community of people called the church. And he's given you life that's to be lived together. As part of this, as part of this big story that's so much bigger than yourself. And so you're transformed as you're taken into God's story of what he's doing. That's an extraordinary claim. How do we know it's true? Because if we don't think it's true, if we don't have confidence in it, it won't lead to action that's based on it, will it? We won't have strong convictions about the gospel if we're not sure that it's true. So how do you know it's true? So Paul gives two reasons. I want you to have a look at them. Number one, he says, look at me. And secondly, he says, look at the message. First of all, he says, have a look at me. Look at my experience. So here he is. He's going around the Mediterranean and he's preaching the gospel. He's in prison because he's preaching the gospel. He's so committed to it. So here's the question. How did that happen? I mean, what do you think? How did that happen to Paul? Paul might be saying to us, so, so tell me what do you think, how did this come about? I mean, do you, do you think I just woke up one day and thought, oh, I'll have a sea change. I know. Instead of persecuting Christians, I'm going to start liking them. I'm going to start encouraging them. In fact, I'm going to start telling anybody and everybody I can find that they too should become Christians. How did that happen? He refers to himself as the least of God's people. Do you notice it in verse 8? Less than the least of God's people. Why? Because Paul could never get over the fact that his life was so twisted and distorted and so turned against God, despite the fact he knew his religion so well. He knew his Old Testament. He was devout. But here he was. He was going out trying to stamp out Christianity. I can imagine him saying to us, think about this. I was so convinced that Christianity was destructive and evil and opposed to God. When I heard the news that Christians had moved from Jerusalem to Damascus in Syria, 
I took some people with me and I made that journey because I was determined to stamp this thing out before it got a strong hold. And I made my way along that route to stamp out Christianity. So how do you think I changed? People do change, of course, don't they? People change their minds about all kinds of things. Indigestion causes people to change their mind. Uh, You might read a book and it changes your mind. The thing is that something triggers it. So the question is this. What caused Paul to change his mind so radically? Because it needs explaining. Well, look at what he says. Verse 7. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me. Through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. I was going on this road to Damascus determined to wipe out Christianity. And God intervened in my life. Jesus turned up in the road and stopped me and turned my life completely around and didn't just say to me, I want you to stop being nasty to Christians. I want you to become my messenger and preach about me as far as you can go to everyone you can reach, especially to those who are furthest from me, to the Gentiles. How do we know the message is true? Well, Paul says, look at me. I'm doing this because God commissioned me to do it. And I am so convinced that it's true that I'm in prison because of this. In verse 1, he says that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. At the end of this section in verse 13, he says to his readers, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings which are for your glory. He's actually the prisoner of Rome. He's in prison because of Caesar. But he's so captured by Jesus Christ. He's willing to experience prison for the sake of the gospel. How do you know it's true? Well, Paul says, look at me. And then secondly, he says, well, have a look at the message. Have you, have you taken the message on board? You know, I come across quite a lot of people who reject Christianity. Um, I have to say, most people reject Christianity out of ignorance. I was talking to somebody very recently, and he said, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe any of this stuff. And, you know, there are all kinds of religions around. I mean, how do you know Christianity is true? True. Uh, so I said, well, how much do you know about Islam and Baha'i and Buddhism? And, by the way, how much do you know about Christianity? Well, he said, well, not a lot. Isn't that extraordinary? People reject Christianity because of what they think it is without actually exploring it. So if you don't know what the message of Christianity is, I want to recommend that you have a look seriously at it. And if you look seriously at the message and how extraordinary it is, you have to say, where did it come from? I I mean, did somebody wake up in the morning and think, hey, I've got this great idea. I've got this idea about Jesus and, you know, how he dies on the cross for our sins and his death is actually a victory and, 
We have a resurrection and if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you can be forgiven. And then he's going to bring people into this new entity called the church, which is the hope for the world. Where did that come from? Uh, reading a book? Paul says you can't even get that from the Old Testament. If you just read the Old Testament, you don't end up with the gospel of Jesus who dies on the cross, rises again, and brings out the church. Have a look at what he says. He says in verse 4, he says, if you read what I've written in reading this, you'll be able to understand my mystery, my insight into the mystery of Christ. Look at it, verse 5, have a look at the text which was not made known to people in the other generations, previous generations. In other words, if you read the Old Testament, you're not going to get Jesus dying on the cross, resurrection. You, you can't work it out. Paul knew the Old Testament backwards, and what did he do? He tried to destroy the church and wipe out the message of Jesus. So how do you get it? Well, it comes through revelation. Look at how he goes on. It's now being revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul suddenly came to see something he'd never seen before, and he couldn't have seen if God had not told him. And from then on, he saw the Old Testament in a completely new light. It suddenly made sense to him in all kinds of ways it never did before. It somehow expanded because he realized the Old Testament was all about Jesus and pointing to Jesus. But the only reason he knew that was because of revelation. I did not make this up, Paul says. And I'm not the only one. God's holy apostles and prophets. So, how do you develop a strong conviction about the truth of the gospel? You, well, have a look at Paul and have a look at the message. Churches that are on fire for God have a strong conviction about the gospel. Number two, churches that are on fire for God have a strong conviction about the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church. What's the church for? Community singing, bit of group therapy, spiritual rotary, child care, instruction in how to live a good Willoughby life, be a good Australian. What's the church for? I want you to notice how Paul answers the question. Verse 10, his, that is God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose of the church is to make God's wisdom known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's all that about? At the beginning of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul tells us that God's purpose is to bring about one day a world that's full of peace and joy 
and fulfillment and thriving and love. He's going to end the divisions. He's going to end the brokenness of this world, and he's going to do it under Christ. And he uses a phrase that says he will unite everything in heaven and earth, which means he's going to bring everything together. But critically what's important is he's going to deal with the fundamental spiritual forces at work in our world that are so destructive and so powerful and that he's already picked up again on in chapter 2. And here in verse 10, Paul is saying that the function of the church is to make known to those powers that there is a new power around And that's the power of Jesus Christ. And their era is coming to an end. And their power has been destroyed. And the church is the demonstration of all that. That is the church by being the church. By being what we're called to be. To live life together under God. We demonstrate to the fundamental powers of the universe. That their power is broken. And in doing that, of course, we testify to all the people around us who are in subjection to those powers. That's what Paul has to say here about the role of the church, which means that the church is a lot more significant than spiritual rotary. It means it has a cosmic significance. It means when groups of people, whether they're small groups or large groups, we have a significance way beyond the numbers When we're being church, we make known to the principalities and powers the multifaceted wisdom of God. Their era is over. And we do it by being the church. And do you notice? It's the church that does this. That through the church, not through individual witness. Not that individual witness is not important. But firstly, it's about the witness of the church. It's by living out a way of life together before God. So, what are the characteristics of a church that's alive and becoming more alive? A church that's on fire for God. They have strong convictions about the gospel. That is, they believe the gospel so powerfully that it leads to change, to action. There are a community of people who have strong convictions about just how significant church is. And it's a belief that turns to action. Convictions. Convictions. Here's the thing. Convictions alone are not enough. They're not enough. You can have a strong, you can have a church that has strong convictions about the truth of the gospel Absolutely convinced the gospel is true. Absolutely convinced about the purpose of the church and the greatness of that church. But it won't necessarily be that kind of lively, thriving, healthy church that I talked about at the beginning. See, you can have strong convictions about the truth of the gospel and strong convictions about the church and you can have a church that's cold, where people do things out of a sense of duty, where there's no passion for God, no love 
Everything's done out of obligation. Church becomes something that we try to fit around our busy schedules and we put the important things in life in first and church becomes something at the periphery we can fit in if time allows. Conviction about the truth is not enough. You need convictions plus experience. Look at how Paul goes on. In verse 14, he says, he writes, for this reason. You've heard that before, haven't you, in verse 1. He's picking up on where he was always intending to go. So verse 1, for this reason. And then he picks it up again in verse 14. He was always going to pray as he does. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth drives derives his name. And what does he pray for? If you read it through, what he's praying for is the experience. He's praying for experience. That they may experience, not just any experience, but that they experience God. Verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Convictions alone are not enough. It's not authentic Christianity just to have convictions. It also requires experience. And not just any experience, but an experience of God. And an experience of God is an experience of love. Love, love, love. We get very woolly when we talk about love so often, don't we? It all becomes very vague. It all becomes very sentimental. Love is love, we say. And that's not what Paul's talking about. God's love is not any kind of love. It's not love in general. It is a unique and specific love. Verse 18, he prays that they might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. God's love is experienced uniquely through Jesus Christ through his death for us, is received by faith in him, that is, by trust in Christ. We experience God's love only through Jesus Christ. And that's the love he wants them to know, that is, to experience. So verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays for love for the experience of love. Christianity is about an experience of God. And that means it's an experience of love. So, how does a church become a church that's on fire for God? Strong convictions about the message. It's really true. And it's changing my life. Strong convictions about the significance of the church. 
But strong convictions alone does not represent authentic Christianity. Christianity is not just about the truth. It's also about an experience of God. And that means to experience love. Let's pull all this together, wrap it up. This is where it gets personal. Let me ask you about your convictions. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe it? Let me tell you how you can know whether you believe it. You believe it if you act on it. And so if you believe the gospel is true, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never trusted him, you've never responded to him, then you need to. Because to have a strong conviction means a belief that leads to action. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and maybe been following him for very for a long time, uh, do you still believe the gospel? Because if you do, the gospel that tells you who you are and God's purposes for you will be the foundation of your life, whatever life throws at you. So are you still trusting the message? Despite your circumstances? Do you believe the gospel. Do you believe in the church? If we really believe in the church and what Paul's saying about it, then it will lead to action. Church will cease to be something that we just fit into a busy schedule. It will certainly cease to be something that we see as doing this community together that we call church a matter of duty and obligation. Do you believe in the church? And what about God? What's your experience of God? Is, is God just a word? Just a concept? Is he more like a force? Is he distant and cold and unreachable? Is Christianity and especially church more about obligations and duties? Then I want to encourage you to pray with Paul that you will know the love of Christ. Conviction plus experience. And that's a prayer that we all need to pray. Because this love is so vast, it surpasses knowledge, Paul says. We'll never fully grasp it. There'll never be a point where we can kind of stand back and say, I know the love of God. I understand it. So there's always a need to keep praying for this so that we might know the experience of God's love. There was a time in my Christian life um, when I would begin to wonder what was going on. Because I'd, I'd see friends, I'd see other people, and you know they were experiencing God's hand on their life, and they were experiencing God's blessing, and God was doing things in their life, and it didn't seem to be happening for me. Uh, and I began to wonder if for some reason that I couldn't quite fathom, God had got a, another list. There's the list of people he was going to answer. 
And when they cried out to him, he was going to respond. He was going to pour his love into their lives. And then there was another list that says, I'm not going to listen to them. I even at one point, such as my arrogance and stupidity, I even wondered if there was only one name on that second list and it was mine. <laughs> but maybe some of you feel a bit like this. Especially when it comes to experience and you're saying, Graham, if you're really serious about what you're saying, to experience the love of God, is that possible for me? Or is that just something that happens to people who stand up at the front or who've been to theological college or the people who are the leaders in churches or the specially holy people? Is that for me? Maybe you're thinking that. In case you are, look at how Paul ends. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power. That's a work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Is this for you? Yes. Let's pray. Father, whatever you've been saying to us this morning, Lord, please help us to respond as you want us to respond. And help us to receive from you what you want to give us. Maybe for some it's a beginning. Perhaps for some of us is that we might embrace change. For some of us, Maybe we're saying this morning, actually, the truth be known, my Christianity has become very functional and cold and it's not come out of love, it's come out of duty. May we receive something of God's love in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.